Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. Keep your head up, marching on. Don't let nothing stand in your way. Hello there, warrior. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Our topic for discussion is focused on helping you identify your dominant love language and giving you practical ways to translate all love languages into your self-care. Now, this concept of love languages is based on the work of Gary Chapman. He wrote the New York Times bestselling book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. Now, When we think about wanting love that lasts, that's what we want to draw within ourselves and create. And today I have Madeline Arena, Recovery Warriors brand designer and a fellow warrior on the show to talk about bringing these love languages inward and focusing them on the most important relationship in your life, and that is the relationship with yourself. Our intention is that you will translate what you learn today into new practical ways of getting in more self-care. Now, self-care is not a nice to have. It is a must have. So let's unpack ways you can prioritize your self-care by way of the love languages. So Madeline, are you well-versed with this idea of love languages? Have you ever kind of looked at these into your own relationships with others and into your relationship with yourself? I would say I'm not completely unfamiliar with them. I've definitely heard of the five love languages. I might have even been able to name them all, but I've never like really sat down and like consciously thought about it. So I'm actually excited to have this conversation today. Because sometimes we talk about self-care and we're like, okay, like what does that mean? Like a facial, like it can be kind of put into this box. And so we're going to be able to deconstruct all the different ways that you can give yourself self-care. And one thing about love languages that we talked about, what I said at the top, is your dominant love languages. And then you're going to have, by default, non-dominant love languages. So let's think about the fact that we have someone who has two hands. Now, you'll have your dominant hand, and which for many people, the majority of the population would be like the right hand. And then you have your non-dominant hand. Or you can be ambidextrous where you can really have the same mastery within both hands. But majority of the population has a dominant hand and a non-dominant hand. And I would like you to think about these love languages as something that you know how to do. You know how, let's say you're right-handed, you know how to use your left hand. It may not be as easy or as suave if you're trying to, you know, write with your left hand, do your makeup with your left hand, brush your teeth with your left hand, but you still can do it. It just feels kind of awkward and maybe doesn't come as natural to you. So you may not default to, hey, I'm going to do all these things with my left hand. So when we're looking today and we're asking you to kind of see which ones are your dominant ones. And a way you can kind of look at that is not to disregard the other ones because they're still going to come in. And importantly, they'll actually bring in a lot more balance into your life. 
So even if you're a right-hand dominant, you may underestimate your left hand, but it is working there, doing things for you day to day. It's just not the dominant one. And I want you all, when you're listening to each as we go through each love language, bring curiosity to, to each language. Start to think about how these languages have been communicated by others to you or you to others. So we are going to be really focusing on self-care in this, but to really understand these concept of love languages, we want to see in what way have our ability to speak certain languages been informed by our parents, by our closest friends, by our partners, this idea of nature versus nurture. So we may naturally have a love language that's so natural to us that when we popped out of the womb, we were born to speak this love language. Other times we get conditioned because of the way we received love as what we think love needs to be communicated as. So I always kind of want you to, to be aware and just bring curiosity to, to these different ways that we may think that we are, that this is our dominant. And possibly if that was a conditioned response, then we may be open to seeing what are, what are other possibilities for us. And, and that's why this all is, is a form of exploration. Alrighty, so without further ado, let's dive into the five love languages and how you can translate them into your self-care. Love language number one, receiving gifts. Now, when we think about gifts, this is material gifts. These could be digital gifts. These are just things that feel like you are investing in in something or being invested in. It's treating yourself to gifts and investing in things that make you feel happy. Now with this one, you may automatically start to go into this idea of money. And there are gifts out there that are completely free. Nature is one of them. So there are ways that you can bring in and receive these gifts with without having to put a huge dent into, into your wallet. I, you know, I know when, when I was really in my eating disorder, one of my biggest struggles was really just this idea of self-worth, right? Feeling like I was worthy. And so a lot of times I might've felt like I'm not worthy of getting certain things, whatever it is. And so as I went through this recovery process, and now that I feel like I am in a more recovered place and I'm in a better relationship with myself in general, I, I like giving myself all kinds of gifts. And like you said, not just monetary, but it's just a way to express to myself, to my inner child that, hey, I love you, you're worthy you know, here's this, this thing just because, and, and I feel like, yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing to, to start doing. I used to struggle a lot with, uh, you know, binge eating, but then also binge shopping. Like I would then have like a go out and, and just buy a bunch of clothes. And then it, it like, and some people are totally are the opposite. They don't even like to go and shop ever, but I would have these kind of periods where I would just buy a lot. And then I, it would be the exact same thing where I felt guilty. And like, I just went into debt for this type of thing. Like, and same thing with binge eating. Oh my gosh, I just went into like, you know, I just ate way too much caloric debt for this. Like you start to kind of have that same mindset. And this idea that we, we kind of replicate patterns with food and, and love and money. They're very, they're very similar. So with this, it's, it's meant to really be a very clean exchange, not full, like with guilt attached to it. And, and that's when you kind of know it's more of an act of self-care versus an act of self-sabotage in that sense. Like me going into credit card debt for clothes that I never actually wore, were, were not, it wasn't a, or I returned later and like just did that whole buy, spend thing for no good reason and wasted my time. That, that's, that's a different than with this bringing more consciousness, more intentionality. So for example, with when I was in recovery, it was making things. I did a 
stained glass class. I did a jewelry making class. But I just made things. I, I would draw things and it, do art. It was just a way of, of producing something, physical thing that I got out of it at the end of the at the end of the time spent doing it. Yeah, totally. I can totally relate to that. I feel like I'm actually still kind of exploring that. I just got myself a a punch needle set the other day. I'm super excited to uh, to start doing that. I've never done it before, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, exactly. And I also, you know, when you kind of connect that to the eating disorder and the patterns that are there, I feel like the important question for me when I think about it is like, where's it coming from? So kind of like you said, the intention, but when you think about whether it's a food binge or a shopping binge or something like that, like, where it's really coming from is this place of like lack and this place of, I don't know, needing to fill some, some kind of a void or maybe wanting to like not face something versus like with intention being like, Hey, I'm going to take this class. Why? Because, you know, I like feeling creative. I like to express myself. I like to be in a community or whatever it is. And now suddenly there's all these deeper reasons of why you're doing it. So it's, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. There's a lot more thoughtfulness to it. You can, you know, discover more in this area too. If you're like, well, I don't know exactly what I would do. You know, we mentioned crafts, things that you can physically make, uh, nature, spending time out in nature and really soaking in all its beauty as a gift. But connect with your core values. The more you can connect with your core values, the more that can influence your decisions. Your core values can be a really good rubric for knowing where to spend your money. Because if it's value aligned, then you're clearly going to get a lot of quote unquote value out of it because it's what you value. I love that. I totally love that perspective. And I I remember going through one of your older courses and, and one of the exercises was to really connect and actually write down and think really specifically about what those values are. And and I found it so helpful because sometimes you're like, well, yeah, I know, whatever I know, but like, do you really, have you actually ever said it out loud? And if you do, then it becomes so much more like specific rather than this abstract idea. So like for me, I had things like, exploration, creativity, freedom, expression, amusement, and play. So, I mean, you know, I feel like we probably have some things in common there, but so, but connecting to your values, I think, yeah, it just makes it so much more hands-on. It gives you much a more better idea of what you can actually specifically do rather than just sort of think about it in an abstract way. Yeah. And if you have like discovery and freedom and adventure, then traveling would definitely be a gift you can give yourself. And sometimes these gifts with self-care can be something that you're looking forward to later down the line. Okay. I have a trip coming up. That's a gift to myself and I'm going to really step into it and enjoy it. And then we can look at things that you can do day to day, week to week, smaller acts of of giving yourself gifts. So that's cool. I'm glad the, the values. I find it's just so helpful and I keep them uh, visible for me. And whenever I'm making decisions on how I'm going to manage my time and my money, that's my that's my rubric. I, I put it against that because if it's not value aligned for me, then I'm not going to be fulfilled in the end when I'm spending my time and my money on it. Yeah, totally. I think that's such a valuable a valuable practice to go through for everyone. All right. So receiving gifts. Now let's move on to our next love language. Number two, physical touch. So this one kind of kind of sounds obvious what it is. <laughs> touch, right? Sensory, being able to really step into your senses, things that make your body feel good or focus on your your physical state, 
your your senses is really what you're trying to to evoke in this. This can be things like massages or going to a spa, body movement, skincare, baths, showers, the self-compassionate soothing touch gestures we talk a lot about, putting your hand to your heart, dancing and Clearly, Madeline is an expert in this yoga, right? Like just anything that's body aligned, like you, you are really getting that physical touch in when you're when you're on the mat. How has that transformed your your self care? Oh man, in a major way. I mean, that could be a whole show in and of itself. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, and especially in recovery, right? I feel like this is a big one. And I remember when I first first started the recovery process, one of the things that my therapists told me to do was to try and find exercises where you really feel your body. So even things like swimming, where you're not really wearing a lot, and you're like, sort of feeling your body in the water, or yoga, right, where the whole sort of point, the whole thing during the practice is you kind of need to go inward and, and see, oh, how's this working? Maybe I need to adjust something. And so for me, I ended up going with the yoga. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I still do it. It's a part of my daily, daily practice. And it does just that, right? It connects me to my senses, it connects me back to my body, and that makes me feel connected to myself because while I'm not my body, it's still a, a part of me, it's still a facet of me. I still have a physical experience in this world. And so I, I do wanna feel connected to that part of me. And so for me, yoga is definitely a, a huge way that I do that. Yeah, that was so transformational for me was, was my yoga practice. And I just always have this memory of like at the very end when you roll on like your back and do shavasana and then they always kind of say roll over to your side when you get up i'd always just like gently like pull in my knee and i'd give it a little kiss and it was just the sweetest Aww. thing for me to just like oh i loved it and i still do it but it was just like that was so precious like i needed that just to kind of like give my body a little love and that kiss was just so so gentle so soft no one like was looking everybody's kind of in their own world when they're like getting out of shavasana yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> I love that you're saying that because when I, so when I teach, one of the things that I always do, so I end Shavasana, you roll on your side in a fetal position. And then I always, before keeping your eyes closed, before you take the seat, I invite everybody to take a moment to thank yourself for taking this time for your practice, to thank your body for showing up with you and to take that moment on your side to do just that. So I love that, yeah. that you just kind of did that for yourself. It's oh, the best. And Physical touch too. Uh, one thing, because if you are struggling with body image issues, this can be somewhat triggering. Like, because it's like, oh, I don't want to be my body, or like, I'm in battle. I'm in a battle with my body right now. And yeah. try to try to step into things like putting lotion on yourself, and maybe just a, a part that's a non-triggering part, like your hands, or do it in the dark. Like, don't don't do it in front of the mirror. Like, do it in a place where your your senses are maybe activated more. I do recommend doing some of these things in the dark, taking a bath in the dark, because it, it does activate your senses more when you remove the the sight and really feeling feeling that the bodily sensations. And part of recovery is starting to come home to your body to start to integrate with it more and feel it more, communicate with it more, right? Because if you're losing all these hunger signal, hunger um, fullness signals, you you need to start kind of coming back to it and and learning how to to communicate with your body and and physical touch is a great language <laughs> for for you to do that with your body. Yeah, and I feel like you know you're a scientist too, so I, we won't dive into this too deep. But I do feel like it's an interesting thing that's something that I'm learning more and more. Also on this yoga journey is like 
the importance of our nervous system that it plays mm -hmm. in our mental health and our well-being all the time. And so physical touch, tapping into our senses in a really like logical, dry, scientific way, that's just like toning your nervous system, regulating yourself, you know? And a lot of us, when we're in the eating disorder or we're in these trauma states, we're so dysregulated, right? We're so, our body is in like a constant fight or flight, freeze, uh, state and so all of these little exercises that's what we're trying to do and so I think the the lights out thing is a great idea for anyone who's struggling because you can kind of take the brain out of it for a second and like don't look don't like judge with your mind but just feel with your body mm, totally yes I love that you brought that in and meditation is such a great example too of being in your body it's really trying to quiet your mind. Once again, trying is the operative word because it usually doesn't always happen. So don't write off meditation if you're like, my mind still is going like like a full-on monkey during that. It's all right. It's, it is though, the more you can focus on your body during the practice is actually the deeper you go into the meditation. And so for me, it's really just about focusing on that big belly breath and feeling the belly extend all the way out and then come all the way in. And this does build up your tolerance too of, of feeling your body expand. And, and this can help in, in some ways. It can, it can be a, a challenge, right? Looking at this exposure response prevention, it can be a challenge to feel your, your stomach extend out. At the same time, it allows you to kind of feel in on the boundaries of your body. And this does help too a lot with what you said about trauma, being able to really be embodied, meaning you need to feel the boundaries of your body. All right. Well, this brings us to our third love language. Number three, words of affirmation. Now, this one is just giving yourself a pep talk, encouraging yourself, showering yourself with compassion, saying, it's okay. I believe in you. We got this. Whatever comes natural, I love you. I think you're great. <laughs> you're awesome. <laughs> I love this love language. I could go on for days. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I probably came out of the womb like, you got it, mom. <laughs> Keep going. Don't give up. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like, <laughs> I love this one. Uh, but yeah, it's just this concept of like positive self-talk. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I, I love this one too for sure. And I feel like honest. I honestly feel like I do. I do it all the time. I definitely journal, and I feel like sometimes the affirmations for me actually flow into the journaling. Where when while I'm journaling, I find myself like, oh, I have this thought, and then I sort of like talk back to my thought with an affirmation. And I often find that you know we kind of come and we repeat the same issues, and so sort of the same affirmation tends to sort of come back around. But yeah, and then also in, you know, just in my own mind, kind of like, like you said, it's kind of like that self-compassion muscle that you're trying to train. And it definitely, in the beginning, it's so much harder. And sometimes you can't get there. And that's when you kind of go in those mental spirals. But for sure, the more you practice it, the more that muscle grows. And I know now it's just so cool to observe, because of course, I still have doubting thoughts or unserving thoughts. But it's just so cool to watch how suddenly there's this other voice that can come in and be like, but wait, no, that's okay. And actually, you're great. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not like resisting the thoughts that are there that are are against it. I like how you said unserving thoughts, because it's really, those are kind of, it's like, you're really not serving me thought. Like, <laughs> yeah. who's your master? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And the journaling process, what you're talking about is like, 
being your own inner coach, right? And I think that's what words of affirmation are. They're like becoming your own inner cheerleader or your own inner encourager and just being able to, whatever you're dealing with, kind of look at it from another perspective. And this isn't, in my opinion, toxic positivity because you can honor what's there. You can honor the hard things. You can honor the pain, the suffering, the confusion, the doubt, all that, but you can still say, but hey, I'm here with you. That's a word of affirmation. I'm, I'm not leaving you. Like, we got this. Like, this this is going to work out in the end. Like, just these gentle reminders can be so powerful to like, for the spirit. Yeah, just for, for your spirit. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, one of the big ones too is just like, like you said, to on the one hand honor and be like, oh, you know, maybe you had some kind of an experience that you felt like you made a mistake somehow or you screwed up or you said something you shouldn't have and to kind of be like, yeah, okay, you said that and and maybe you shouldn't have or maybe that might have hurt that other person. And at the same time, you that wasn't your intention and you're still worthy. You're still good. I still love you. Like everything is still okay. It's more like in that vein, I think that's how I would perceive it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 acknowledging what is and then also acknowledging your inherent goodness. We all are human. We all make mistakes. We're all flawed. We all do things that hurt other people and other people hurt us. And it's kind of simplifying the human experience, but it's kind of how it works. And we need to be there for ourselves. <laughs> we need to be there for ourselves when, yeah. when we fall down and, and when we're doing well too. I think that's another thing is being able to keep inspiring yourself when you're when you're doing well it's these these words of affirmation aren't just when you're at a low but when you're at a high it's also helpful to to be there and be like whoa keep going and and celebrating right this is where we tie in the these celebrations these little mini micro wins that you do like when you can verbally tell yourself that the science shows you are more likely to keep going so we need to have these little micro win conversations with ourselves and say hey i saw you do that good job okay, let's, you know, I, I think we're getting somewhere. Like I'm, I'm noticing a change in you, even if it's small. And even if you accidentally go back and do the same thing again, and but it's okay because we changed just once. I saw yeah. that change. So let's try it again, you know, like, keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like, you know, one of the things, one of the little like tricks I did in the beginning when it was still harder for me to find that voice. And I know it sometimes sounds simple, but it, it really does help. I would be like, well, what would you say to your sister or a loved one or a friend or somebody that I value. And a lot of the times, you know, in the beginning, that's kind of not the voice we're using for ourselves. But then when you put it in that context, maybe it'll help you to kind of be like, well, obviously, I would tell them that it's okay, and that I love them and that they're good. Yeah. So it's like kind of self-compassion right here is words of affirmation. I guess this is like, if you guys are really interested in getting that self-kindness component of the self-compassion, and it really does happen through our words. All right. So now to our fourth love language. Number four, quality time. So this one is spending time with yourself, whether this is doing hobbies and crafts like we talked about earlier or being out in nature watching TV, learning, all of these things are kind of ways that you spend time with yourself that you find are relaxing and restoring. So this quality time is really where it feels like you're filling your cup. Now, for some people, that may be something that's more uh, physical, more active, and that's how you fill your cup. Others may find it's just totally decompressing on the couch, and that's how you fill your cup. So whether you're an introvert, extrovert, ambivert, whatever, it's kind of finding the ways that you feel 
that you're spending quality time? This is a huge one for me. And I feel like actually I've had an interesting experience in the last few years because when I was a little bit younger and still going to university and I was working in the restaurant industry and I had a very, very active life, I was doing a lot, right? I was going to class. I was working at nights. When I wasn't working, I was going out. And I almost always felt like if I wasn't, if I didn't have plans, I was kind of like, oh, I need to find plans. Like, who can I call, you know? Um, And now about a year and a half ago, my boyfriend and I moved onto a beautiful property in the Quebec countryside in Canada. And I mean, it's like polar opposite. (laughs) Polar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that too. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I have I have so much more time alone. And I mean, prior to that, of course, we, you know, all experienced a pandemic and then I had some other things happening, but all to say that I feel like A, through the pandemic and then moving into this new place, I'm sort of more and more and more coming to this experience where actually I'm having so much more just time to myself. And in the beginning, that was kind of harder. But now that I'm doing it more, I honestly, I, I feel like I need it. And when I don't get it, and when I feel like I'm I now have all these things in my schedule, I can see myself getting so overwhelmed and I feel like, oh my God, I need to like pause here for a minute. So yeah, for me and for me being, I guess that's my introvert part. So for me, quality time definitely also looks like alone time, like time with little stimulation. So personally, I I watch TV with my boyfriend, but I don't, quality time for me wouldn't be to turn on a show for myself. I would much rather do some yoga, go for a walk with my dogs. I don't know, take a bath things like that, maybe do an extra hour of my teacher training if I'm feeling really inspired or something like that. I think this one requires management of of your time, right? Since this one is the one that talks about time and is blocking off these times to do these activities. And once again, bringing that intentionality, consciousness to it and say like, this is my quality time. There was a show that we had just recently that was released where Emily talked about scheduling in her M time. And that was her way of like making sure she was going to get these, these things in her calendar. Cause I don't think if we, if we don't do that, then other people will start to, you know, put these things into our plates and then our time can just get spent without really getting that quality aspect from it. I actually had this experience with my yoga teacher training where I kept putting it off and it's something that I I don't have to do it, but I want to do it. And I kept waiting for like the right moment. Oh, on a, you know, one day on a Sunday, I'll, I'll, I'll do a few hours. But that one day on a Sunday happened like once in a blue moon, (laughs) because, you know, we all have busy lives. We have friends, we have family, we have obligations, whatever it is. And so now what I'm doing, I actually started it this week and I'm super proud of myself. And I'm, like she said, I'm scheduling it in, even if it's just one hour a day. Well, in a week, that's maybe seven hours, you know, that's better than three hours once every like two months. And I think so whatever that quality time looks like for somebody else, it is really important to prioritize it and to just add it to your schedule. Mm -hmm. I find what gets scheduled gets done and what gets talked about but not scheduled doesn't necessarily always get done. So yeah. Yeah. This is almost like quality time when you really step into it is when it's just like everything else that's going on in my life, like it's enough. You know, like I've learned enough. I've done enough. Now I'm just going to focus on myself and have some quality time that's not going to lead to another credential, another like Mm -hmm. uh, level of enlightenment or whatever, you know, like (laughs) it's just like, it's literally just going to be me and me. (laughs) We're going to have a good old time. And I also like, Quality time for me is is laughing. Yeah, things like that, like watching a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or making a good meal when you're not focusing on 
being healthy or, or I don't know, cooking for a, a bunch of people. You just saw a recipe that looked really good and you put on some music and you're just like in the moment. You can almost kind of say it's almost like a mindfulness thing a little bit, like to really just like mindfully be with yourself and not focus on any result yeah. or anything like that. Mm. I think that's it. I think that's a good way of us kind of moving on to the next one there. I think this one is much more about bringing mindfulness into to whatever you're doing. And yeah, I love that. All right. Well, now let's mindfully move into our last love language. Number five, acts of service. This one is when you're doing things for yourself that make you feel good or they make your life feel more easy and organized. So whether this is actually cleaning and cooking, delegating things to people, scheduling, putting these things into your calendar, planning, getting the therapy sessions, the dietitian appointments, all of these things, and then following up and actually going to them, going to your therapy appointment, going to your dentist appointment, your doctor appointment, your dietitian appointment, all of these things that go into, I would say these are the more practical, like nuts and bolts of life. Like if you don't do these things, you start to to notice yeah, you, the foundation starts to crack when you don't really do these things. And so I would say these are more foundational. I'm, I, I always want to say I'm high on structure. My mom is a, is a psychologist and I've done all these different tests and one of them measures your motivators and like, so structure and like organization. I'm like high that I, I get a lot out of that. So I like to have things organized. Everything has its place. That definitely makes me feel good. Having said that, I also feel like sometimes it's really easy for me to have that be the first one that slips because I, I'm so focused on something else for me, for example, super basic, but like cleaning the house it's, I care, but then sometimes I'm like, nah, I can kind of turn a blind eye and I, I'd rather kind of do this. And I have so many other things. And for a while that's okay. And I think there's kind of a balance to be struck there, but I can always kind of feel when it starts to tip over that balance because I, I start not feeling good. Like I, I can tell that the fact that I see, you know, dog hairs in the corner and stuff like it, it it just doesn't feel good. And then in that moment, cleaning, as much as it's maybe just a boring like chore, it is actually kind of an act of service for myself because I want to live in a clean house. And when I look around and everything looks clean and nice, that actually kind of feels like a nice deep breath. And then I feel really good. I can totally relate to that. Exactly. Like is acknowledging it too, right? Like this is how I want to feel. And then when these things are out of balance and I'm not prioritizing them, then I don't feel that inner peace, that inner harmony. I found, so something's not your dominant one, for example, when you it's it's so helpful though when you lean into it and when you do actually do these things the amount of pride that can come from it maybe there's this initial mm. like barrier kind of like sluggish like oh i have to get over that like barrier of actually doing it but then once you do it 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 almost can feel like ecstatic to be like oh my gosh like i did this i got this planned i like wrote the insurance company back and like all these things that just don't seem like that you really want to deal with them but when you do them, you are setting your future self up for success. I feel like this is the one I think really does set your future self up for success when you are staying organized, structured, planning things. Uh, it really it really does help. Yeah, I totally agree. And if I think back to like being more in a more disordered, sort of not good place in my life, I, I feel like often I, I mean, I would, but I would often push things to like the last the last possible moment and then kind of do it because I have to or because I'm getting some final notice. And it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where that comes from, but I, I can totally see that now 
it's almost like, because I know, like you're saying that that is actually going to make me, you know, I, I want to make that doctor's appointment. Yes. It's tedious. You don't want to call, you don't want to have to take the time out of your schedule, you know, but you, you start to notice that when you do, and when you just also do it right away and don't like resist it forever, that just makes it worse, you know, so just like do it and then it's done and then you feel so good and you're like, ah, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Again, do that little celebration. Like I, that, that's for me is so important. Little celebration. Like <laughs> yeah. I did it. And you know what I've started to do is actually, so I, I we do like an, an internally at Recovery Warriors, we track all our time for all our tasks. And it's just something that we do so we can help optimize. And like, we know how, how long something takes. And whenever I'm going to do something, I, I'll time myself. So this, you know, you don't have to have a project management system where you can, you can do this even on your phone. There's tons of things you can apps apps for that. Uh, but just like if you've been like holding off, let's just say an email, like an email that you've been meaning to write forever and you get in, time yourself how long it takes. Because usually it only takes like 10 minutes, maybe 20, maybe 40 if it's like a really like, like e- big email or something. And then tell yourself back, that took 10 minutes. That took 40 minutes, well, however long it took, just so you can see that that thing that you've been putting off for days, weeks, months, that has been contributing to all this inner tension and just like ugh, inside of you, possibly leading you to act out and engage in behaviors because you're emotionally like, because we procrastinate because of our emotions. I mean, mo- procrastination is really linked to our, our emotions. So just being able to start to acknowledge, okay, that scary email only took me 10 minutes and how much better I feel now that I did it. And so the next time you can notice that you're getting into that same procrastination loop of avoiding something, just remember like, okay, this is really only going to take me 10 minutes. And I care about myself enough to just do it now so I'm not sitting here for days, weeks, months, feeling all this inner tension and turmoil because I'm not doing it. So I found that that's been a, a big shift for me is just to one, if I procrastinate something, acknowledge how long did it actually take me to do it? I'm not, it's not a beating yourself up thing. It's just an acknowledgement to be like, okay, girl, like maybe, maybe you can do this next time a little bit different, a little faster and like, you know, a little more straight to the point. Not have to go through all that hell in between. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I 100% relate to that totally. And I just, exactly like you're saying, it just helps you realize how much also just like brain space, like every time you're putting it off and mm. thinking about doing it, you're thinking about it, like it's taking up space in your life and your mind. And then if you really think about how long you thought about it versus yeah. how long it took to actually do it, <laughs> you're like, this is so disproportionate. Like, <laughs> That's it. Like when you can actually like literally, like if you think like I've probably spent five hours thinking about this and it took me 10 minutes. And it actually wasn't as scary as I thought. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then afterwards, you're like, wait, all of this weight has been lifted, you know? So I feel like that's what it is. So like, you know, like the self-compassion, it's like almost like a muscle. And then the more you do it, you're like, hey, last time when I just went ahead and did it, it was done in 10 minutes. Maybe I should just do that again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as we wrap up here, I do want to encourage you to start to lean into your non-dominant ones as well because you will find actually that's where you'll f- get more growth from and and you'll you'll be able to to find whole new levels when you can start to do these ones that are maybe a little bit harder it means just because they're harder that you don't shy away from them i would say lean into them and meanwhile use your dominant ones to your advantage because you can naturally give those to yourself and it, it is more free flowing 
but don't resist the ones that that are tougher and and maybe take a little more to to get into and to to engage with. To review our, our five love languages and how you can translate them into your self-care are receiving gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, and acts of service. And so we're going to leave you with a few questions here today to kind of help you understand what your dominant one and your non-dominant ones are in case you you didn't like have a, a like ding, 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 like this is definitely my dominant one, is I want you to start to think about, look at your life as early on as you, as you can, really, I like kind of just give your whole big swath of life a, a, a look at here. And when you feel let down or if something hurts you deeply, what does your loved one, whether it's a friend, a family member, a partner, what did they fail to do that hurt you so deeply? And maybe this is kind of where you are complaining either to them or to your therapist or to your journal or to your friends, something that just feels hurtful to you. Maybe they, they, didn't, they didn't give this, this love language to you or they didn't communicate this love language to you. And so we're the opposite of what hurts for you. This is often your preferred or your most natural love language because it hurts so bad meaning you really wanted to have love expressed that way. And another way of looking at it is what are you, what do you most often request of a loved one? And I'm going to also put the little kind of side disclaimers. Maybe you don't have that assertive voice developed yet where you actually request it. And if that's the case, you most likely will be requesting it in terms of your complaints to your friends or people that you're talking about this loved one with. So kind of saying like, they never do this, or I always have to tell them to do this. That's another way of kind of getting closer to what that request is of you, whether you are asserting it or not. And the thing that you most often request is likely the thing that would make you feel most loved. So that's another way. And finally, another way you can look deeper at at your relationship with these love languages is in what way do you regularly express love to your loved ones? And this is your method of expressing love. So what do you do that comes from a pure place? You're not doing it because you have to. It just feels very natural to express love in this way. And then this is an indication that this expression from another would also make you feel loved. So a really awesome way to understand other people's love languages is to look at how they give love. If they're acts of service and they're cooking and cleaning and doing all these things, well, that's that's their love language. And likely just to acknowledge that is one thing to give words of affirmation that you see it, but they may also as well love it if you did some things for them so they can feel supported in that sense. This might seem like a topic that feels sort of, I don't know, abstract and maybe not so important, but I think we we underestimate these things. And I think having the knowledge, just taking that little moment of time to reflect on these questions, reflect on your love languages and maybe the ones of the people that are closest to you can actually be really impactful. It can be life-changing. If you start to understand other people's love languages and then understand your own it can clear away so much hidden resentments around people. Because if someone doesn't really have a natural love language mm. and you're trying to be like, God dang it, speak my love language. And they're like, 
not, <laughs> you know, that's not their like natural, like you're trying to tell them to throw a ball with their opposite hand, like perfectly, you know, you're like, throw mm-hmm. the ball. Like, and they're like, I can't even throw the ball like that, you know? And so it's, <laughs> so just having, then you can have compassion for them and you can be like, you know, like that's not their strength. I can communicate to them and be assertive and ask for that. And then most importantly with ourselves, then we can learn how to give it to ourselves. So we're not always there trying to get other people to meet our needs uh, and we can be able to meet our own needs. So this really comes down to meeting your needs. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us, Madeline, and, and going over these. I It's always fun conversing with you and, and hearing your perspectives. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion like the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this warrior. <laughs> <laughs>